0: You're listening to the Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. the so we can fully rest in your truth. Yeah, yeah.
1: If we claim to be without sin. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, I think that has a double meaning. You know, for someone to say, well, I'm not a sinner, and, you know, well, that's crazy. God says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's one meaning. But the second is, again, in the context, you're hiding something, and when confronted with it, you just keep denying it. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves.
0: Are you a sinner? Hopefully you've answered yes to that. After all, the Bible does tell us that all have sinned. Pastor Danny shares today that every person on earth has and will continue to miss the mark. It's just a part of who we are. But that missing the mark is still separating us from God. Today, though, you can have that gap between you and your Creator filled in. It's done by accepting that Jesus died for your sins. He took your place, the punishment that you deserve. And instead, you can live in grace. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 John chapter 1 with today's edition of the Living Word. To every nation
1: This little epistle, of course, written by the Apostle John, they say about A.D. 100. He had been exiled to Patmos, and there he received what we know as the book of the Revelation, which if Jesus tarries, and I'm still around, uh, we're going to be going through again in the next few months as we finish 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. They say that he then moved from Patmos and was freed from that and moved to Ephesus, and they say that he could have written 1 John from Ephesus. It doesn't really matter where he wrote it from. When he wrote it is more interesting to me because he's an older saint now. And you'll find, well not just in this writing, but in I think all of his writings, he addresses his hearers as dear children. An older saint talking to uh, younger saints, dear children in the faith. Um, false teachings had infiltrated the churches. And you also find John saying several times in his writings things like you know, know, know. And the idea is the truth. You can know the truth. And Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. That was John's privilege. He saw Jesus. He touched Jesus. He was with Jesus which we've looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it, testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. But now catch this shift. So that you also may have fellowship. With us And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So understand what he's saying. Even though we haven't seen Him physically yet, even though we haven't touched Him physically yet, we can still have that fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And a little note here, he says, we write this to make our joy complete. Listen up very carefully. If your joy is not full as a Christian... Probably at least part of your problem is that you're not rightly related to the body of Christ. You're not in fellowship, okay? Listen, the Bible says we are the church, the body of Christ. And if all you do is attend church, you'll never experience the fullness of joy that God has for every Christian because you won't experience it unless you're rightly related to the body. It's a great challenge, but that's where the fellowship comes from. You know, we're the body of Christ, and some of us are uh, the hands, some of us are the feet, some of us are the eyes. I'm a big mouth, you know? (laughs) But that's fellowship with the members of the body. We write this to make our joy complete through the fellowship with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, and, of course, fellowship with one another. Now, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If you'd like to, place a marker here or just just stay there and listen. I'm going to go to John's Gospel, uh, chapter 1. Listen how John opens the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but this translation says the darkness has not understood it. The real uh, better translation would be the darkness has not overcome it. The idea is the light comes, and no matter what response the darkness has to the light, the light's going to shine. The light is going to shine. The darkness won't overcome it. No darkness in God. God is light, light, uh, and light reveals things. Are you with me? James chapter 1, verse 17 says, uh, every good and perfect gift give, give, Good and perfect gives us from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He's always the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. God is a light. In him there's no darkness at all. Now, verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. John will open up uh, his little second John letter And he will say this, verse 4, it gives me, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth. Some of your children walking in the truth. Those are the ones walking in the light. What does it mean to walk in darkness? Well, it's not deep. It's not deep. Everybody can understand it. To walk in darkness is simply, you're hiding something. There's something that has not come open before God. And if it hasn't come open before God, uh, it hadn't come open before others either. Something to hide. But verse 7 if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So there's something that you got to have if you're going to have real fellowship there's an openness. We walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And catch this, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's interesting because he doesn't seem to be talking about uh, the forgiveness of sin that you get through faith in Jesus Christ when you're born again, you repent and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. He's talking about uh, a daily thing in your walk. That as we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. In other words, sin can't get a hold of us because we got nothing to hide. Are you with me? You understanding this? Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now I think that has a double meaning. You know, for someone to say, well, I'm not a sinner, you know. Well, that's crazy. God says, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. So that's one meaning. But the second is, again, in the context, You're hiding something, and when confronted with it, you just keep denying it. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And again, in the context, he's talking about someone that really knows the Lord, but has something hidden, something that needs to be cleansed, something that needs to be dealt with. And God's saying, (laughs) if we'll just confess, he wants to purify us in a fresh way so that we can once again walk in the light. we got nothing to hide before God and before one another. And then verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. I think that's the same idea as verse 8. I mean, if we're going to deny it, if we're not going to own up to it, the word has no effect on us. I mean, we hear the word And we don't let the word do the cutting, you know, and the conviction. There's no place for the word in our lives. It's not doing us any good to read the word or hear the word. I mean, it just doesn't do any good. We walk away the same, no different. And then two more verses beginning in chapter two, my dear children. Here he goes. Here's this experienced, aged, mature saint, my dear children. I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, what does that mean? Well, the writing is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. I write this to you so that you will not sin. How many understand that for me not to sin and for you not to sin, the word of God has got to be a vital part of my life on a daily basis? Sanctify them by the truth, John 17, 17. Jesus prayed that. Your word is truth. Uh, When Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, I think most of us, no problem, all of us, every time the devil tempted him, uh, how was Jesus' response? What did he respond? He said, it is written. That's how he gained the victory. It is written. It's the word of God. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But it doesn't stop there. But if anybody does sin, we've been there. All of us have been there. We failed. We failed. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Did you read that? Do you get the full impact of that? Listen, you talk about a defense lawyer. And he's not going to send you a bill. Uh, His whole bill was paid at the cross. He paid the bill for us. I mean, my goodness. You talk about a defense lawyer. We fail. But if we're just willing to own up to it now and confess Jesus Christ will go before the Father and say, "Dad, Father, we got that one covered. What was the failure? Now listen, listen. Think about the failure. And this is not an excuse. This is not you know, oh, I can go and do it, and then Jesus Christ will forgive me. That's not the idea. But listen, what was the failure? Sexual sin, it's covered. Adultery, covered. Lying, it's covered. Murder. You mean a Christian can commit murder? Ask Moses, ask King David, blessed is the man, Jesus. David wrote, blessed is the man who sinned the Lord will not hold against him. You talk about a defense lawyer. When I fail, if I'm willing to own up to it, Jesus Christ, my defense lawyer, your defense lawyer goes before the father and says, father, we got that one covered. Forgive them. Let's restore them. It doesn't mean depending on the sin, there might not be scars, you know, the deeper the cut. But the forgiveness, the fellowship is restored. The forgiveness is there. The peace that you once had. The joy that you've lost. What a defense lawyer. Now, verse 2. Don't miss this verse 2. And if you're a Calvinist, listen up very carefully. And I'm not trying to slander or make fun of anybody. Listen, but listen, I don't know what a Calvinist does with this one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours. He's talking about Christians. But also for the sins of the whole world. What do you do with that? It's not limited atonement. But I'll just leave that one laying there based on that one verse. There are a lot of others and ones like it. But the sins of the whole world. Listen, anybody can be forgiven because Jesus Christ's sacrifice covered the, the, everybody's sin. Listen, it's unto all and upon all those that believe. Uh, unto all and upon all them that believe. Don't talk to me about any limited atonement. I think somebody was just offended. I didn't mean to offend you, but I great challenge of the Christian life, not allowing sin to get a hold of us. And uh, if we keep it hidden, it's got us. It's got us. The privilege of confession is because God wants to forgive and he wants to purify and he wants to restore and he wants us to walk in the light and have the fullness of fellowship and the fullness of joy. That's what he wants. Here's what the Proverbs says. Uh, Whoever conceals his sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. That's mercy. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. So God's not only merciful, he's gracious. He'll not only not treat us as as we deserve to be treated, he'll treat us in ways we don't... he'll, He'll give us things. He'll shower us with blessing. Amazing. Amazing God. Unfortunately, the record in scripture is filled with people who chose to hide their sin rather than come clean before God The the Bible opens that way go with me on a little journey here go all the way back to the book of beginnings the book of Genesis Genesis chapter 3 God creates the first two human beings Adam and Eve. Uh, He marries them. Uh, They're married now. They're in paradise Uh, I mean they can you imagine? (laughs) Can you imagine? and uh, God says, enjoy paradise, but there's one tree now you can't eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All the other trees in the garden, you can have at it, you know, enjoy, but one tree, and God put it right in the middle of the garden. And verse 6 says this, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good uh, for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And every time I go through it, I have to point out uh, they were in a hurry because if you've ever felt a fig leaf, they're not fruit of the limb. <laughs> and they were in a hurry to cover their nakedness up. And in verse 8, then the man and his wife uh, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God. This time, when I read through it again uh, yesterday, the day before, one of those days recently uh, I I took my red pen and I and I underlined hid from the lord god and then I sat and thought about it again it's just like I do every time they hid from the lord god that's amazing it, it would even be recorded like that hide and seek <laughs> i mean here here's god where did they go <laughs> where are they They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So here they are, got the fig leaves on. Ouch, and they're hiding behind the trees. But the Lord God called to the man, called to the man, where are you? God didn't know where he was. God knew exactly where they were. Come on, where are you? He asked the question for man's sake. He knows exactly what's happened. He knows where they are. He sees them. Remember what Jesus said to Nathanael when they went and told Nathaniel, uh, We found the Christ. Who is it? Jesus of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then he meets Jesus and Jesus says, Oh, behold an Israelite in whom is no guile. Now I think he was being a little sarcastic. I don't know that. But the, the point is, uh, he said, how do you know me? He says, before they called you, I saw you under the fig tree. The fig tree. Well, similar to this, doesn't it? I saw you under the fig tree. And whatever Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree, he didn't think, he knew. He didn't think anybody else knew he was what he was doing. I don't know. He doesn't say what he was doing. But then he believed. He said, well, you must be the son of God. You know about me under the fig tree. Where are you? And I love the answer. First husband. First husband on the planet. Here's the question. Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now that's a pretty, that's a question you can understand. (laughs) Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And the man said, first husband, here's his answer, the woman you put here with me, (laughs) she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It never gets old. every time I go, through, and every, no matter how many times you've been through it with me, you're still laughing. Because you go, "What an answer. The woman, it's her fault. But listen, he's not just blaming his wife, he's blaming God. The woman you gave me. You gave me the wrong one. If you would have given me the right woman, this would never happen. And now I'm stuck with her. You married us, and I know you want divorces. Now, before we start throwing darts too, too much at the man, keep reading. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent. Serpent deceived me and I ate. Both of those answers are attempted cop-outs. What's God looking for? He's looking for a confession. Not it's her fault. Not it's the devil's fault. No. What did you do? What did you do? You're right. No buts. No excuses. I mean, my goodness, (laughs) (laughs) they're in paradise. You can't blame it on their environment. (laughs) If you keep going to the right, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. A whole generation of Israelites have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They would not mature in faith, They kept grumbling, complaining, so they never experienced the blessings of the promised land. Now, Joshua is leading them. The first stop in the promised land is Jericho. Um, God says to them, chapter 6, verse 18, very specifically, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Uh, These Things he's talking about, any of the valuables, the gold, the silver, uh, the jewelry, the clothing, whatever it is. Now, there's a principle there. God gets the first fruits. That's why God said, Look, that stuff's mine because God always gets the first fruits, at least he should. All right, that's the principle. Uh, You look in chapter 7, and what happens in chapter 7 is God gives them the victory in Jericho, and then they send just Basically, a small number of men compared to what they had in Jericho, for AI, and they get their tails whipped in AI. And people died, and Joshua was down on his face before the Lord. Lord, what in the world's going on? And God says, "Get up. Get up. Not a time to pray, time for action. Verse 11, chapter seven, Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things, they've stolen, they've lied, they've put them with their possessions. Now, the chapter opens telling us who did it. It was Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah. And if you read it carefully, you'll understand that his whole family was a part of it. They took some of the devoted things, hit them. He hit them in his tent. But he thinks he's gotten away with it. He thinks nobody knows. God knows. So verse 13, chapter 7, go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. And God tells Joshua, you have them next morning stand together with their clan, with their tribe, with their family. Now, you got a whole, basically a day now. And you wonder what Achan is thinking. You wonder what his family is thinking. And what he should have done, what he should have done is he should have gone to Joshua and said, I'm the one. It's me. It's my family. I've sinned. And I think if he would have done that, God would have done exactly what he talks about in 1 John and other scriptures as well. He would have forgiven him. It would have been restored. But he doesn't come forth. He doesn't come forth. He, he spins that wheel and, and plays Russian roulette with his own soul and with his family. Verse 16, early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forth tribe, by tribes and Judah was taken. You wonder if Achan's getting nervous The clans of Judah came forward and he took the Zerahites He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was taken By this time if I'm Achan I'm shaking Joshua had his family come forward man by man And Achan son of Carmi the son of Zimri the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken And Joshua said to Achan my son give glory to God That means in that culture give glory to God Own up, come clean because you're caught You're caught dude Tell me what you've done. And Achan said, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. But it was too late. Now he's caught. And he and his whole family were literally destroyed because he would not own up to his sin. If you keep going to the right... Past 2 Samuel, stop at 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, the Arameans are raiding Israel and one band actually captured this Israeli girl, brought her back and she becomes the slave basically of a man named Naaman. Naaman uh, is a mighty warrior in the Aramean army and he's, he's well known, he's got a reputation as a mighty warrior. But he's got leprosy. Well, this Israeli girl uh, says to her master, his wife, Naaman's wife, uh, if your servant would just go to Israel, the prophet in Israel is there and God God can heal him of his leprosy. So he goes and gets permission. He takes with him some money thinking he's got to pay the prophet to be healed. Uh, And he goes to Elisha's house. When he gets to Elisha's house, Elisha is led by the Lord not even to come out and meet him. Because one of the issues he has is pride. And if he's going to really receive from the Lord, there's going to need to be some humility. And uh, he gets all in a huff because Elisha won't come out and meet him. And he goes off in a huff like, you know, I'm a great man. The guy won't even come out and talk to me. And his servants finally are brave enough that some of his men uh, say, well, if he'd have told you something really difficult to do, wouldn't you have done it? And he said, well, of course I would. I'm a mighty warrior. And that's what he's thinking. And they said, well, He told you something pretty simple, and here's what God told Elisha to tell him to do. Go down to the Jordan, dip seven times, and after the seventh time, you'll be cleansed.
0: You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. Thanks for tuning in. John the Apostle had a unique relationship with Jesus, and it shows in his writing. He knew Jesus in a personal way, and John knew him to be God. Sometimes it's hard to tell what's real in this world, but as John wrote, Jesus is the real deal. As we continue to journey through the book of 1 John, evaluate your own relationship with Jesus. Do you know him in a deep and personal way? Do you know him to be the real thing? If you're struggling with this, spend time in the word and ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. We also encourage you to keep seeking him, and we'll continue to pray for you as you grow in your faith. Would you also be willing to pray for us here at The Living Word? As our ministry grows, we want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first and foremost too. Thank you so much for praying. If you're looking for a church home and live in or near the St. Petersburg area, we want to connect with you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We also live stream our services. Find out more at ccfstpete.church. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. And with that, we hope you'll join us again next time to learn more from the book of 1 John right here on The Living Word.